going to read from two passages of Scripture today. If you would like, you can turn to Acts chapter 6 for the first reading, and the second reading will be in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Both passages deal with a scriptural doctrine of deacons. I'm going to be preaching on biblical deaconship. So stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 6 will be the first uh, seven verses, and then 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 11. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve, the apostles, who were elders at the Jerusalem church, summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 8 through 11. 1 Timothy 3 verse 8. Likewise, uh, similar to the elders that he just talked about, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. I'm going to keep going. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I forgot to say or announce that we will be praying for uh, Free Grace Baptist Church, Chilliwack, British Columbia today, Pastor as Jim Butler. One of the reasons is Hotniel, Hotniel Perez from Cuba is doing his U.S. tour. He does those tours a lot. And he's up there with uh, Pastor uh, Butler and Pastor Mike Kirkpatrick. They had lunch yesterday, and Pastor Butler sent me a text this morning. He said, had an outstanding time with Hotniel. Hotniel's father started a Reformed Baptist church 35, 40 years ago in Cuba and has since planted a lot. And they have their hands on a lot of pastors' lives and helping them get books and teachers going down there to teach. And so what Hotniel does is he explains what's going on down there. And then, you know, the church where Pastor Stephen Lindblad is, um, does all the finances for them and get, make sure they get money. And I think he has to actually fly over here to get, get money. And so that's probably what he's doing. Anyway, it was very encouraging to get that from Pastor Butler. I'll pray also that the Lord would help the local churches in our area this day. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that we can come in the name of Christ with the confidence that uh, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness, all our sins, And that as we continually confess our sins, you continually forgive us 
of our sins. Thank you for that. Thank you for such a wonderful friend of sinners in the Lord Jesus. Even though we often do him wrong, he never does us wrong. Even though we often forget his love, uh, he never forgets loving us. So we thank you. We confess our sins and ask that you would forgive us. And we are grateful that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the liberation that gives to our souls, the marvel, the wonder, the praise that's stirred up in us when we think of the fact that even though we'll die, it won't be unto condemnation. Even though we'll be raised from the dead, it won't be unto condemnation. This is because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. We want to pray for the meetings up in Chilliwack today, your blessings on Sunday school, morning and evening worship in uh, the three churches there, but especially the Free Grace Baptist Church where Pastor Jim Butler is the pastor. And I don't know if Hotniel's preaching at either one of these churches, but we thank you for that brother and the ministry and the churches that he represents from the nation of Cuba. Bless him in this uh, visit up there. And all the brothers and sisters gathering in the name of Christ according to the word of Christ in the Antelope Valley, we want your blessings on those those uh, meetings for public worship as well. So do that. And now, as we consider your word, please help us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Our confession of faith, our doctrinal statement, the statement that we uh, as a church have subscribed, says this, A particular church gathered and completely organized according to the mind of Christ consists of officers and members, the officers appointed by Christ to be chosen and set apart by the church are bishops or elders or pastors and deacons, a very important statement. The congregation has a say in who the officers are. The officers aren't self-appointed. The elders don't appoint subsequent officers. The church has its say in that. We are a church. Uh, We are organized, but not completely organized to what we confess the scriptures to teach. We have one elder. We have one deacon. We believe the scripture teaches for the well-being of the church, we ought to have elders, plural, deacons, plural. We've been praying for that And uh, you've probably noticed that I've been trying to develop, and Mario has been as well, trying to develop um, some toward that end. Now, Christ has appointed two offices in the church to serve the church, bishops, elders, or pastors, and deacons. And this morning, I want to preach on the office of deacon, so my title is Biblical Deaconship, so that the members of our church are sufficiently aware of what the Bible teaches on this issue. I already read um, Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. Acts chapter 6, in terms of chronology, is pretty early after the sufferings and glory of Christ. So his ascension occurs, Pentecost occurs, and this huge swell of Sinners believing that Christ is the Messiah as promised in the Old Testament, they believe, they're baptized, and they join. They're there for quite some time, actually, in Jerusalem at that time of the year. And then they probably dispersed with the gospel and other churches were planted. But what's going on in Jerusalem in, in chapter 6 is probably the, the feeding of these widows uh, was probably a daily uh, a chore, and so... Uh, the apostles saw that they were being drawn from their primary ministry. And it's not bad for apostles or pastors to serve people food, to take food over somebody's house. But when that multiplies and they're not able to give themselves to the word and prayer, this is the practical need. Let's appoint seven men. Why why did they say seven? Did you catch that in Acts chapter 6? Look out among you and choose seven men. Maybe seven days of the week, some people have surmised, since... People eat for seven days. Maybe they already knew there were seven men that were qualified. We we don't really know. But it's a practical need that uh, uh, arose. And Acts 6 is relatively early. By the time you get to like Philippians chapter 1, Paul addresses the Philippians and 
the overseers and deacons. Overseers, plural, deacons, plural. So by the time you get to 60-something A.D., this would be, Acts 6 would be 30-something A.D., 30 years later, 25, 30 years later, he's addressing a church in Philippi that has elders, plural, and deacons, plural. If we read Titus, we would see that Titus was left on an island, and there, apparently there were pastorless or elderless churches there. He was to help the church appoint elders in every city where there was a church. So that's plurality of elders is clear. I think plurality of deacons is clear as well. In this sermon, I have three points. The first is the identity of deacons, or what are deacons? That's a good question, isn't it? Uh, Second, the installation of deacons. How do men become deacons? What are deacons? How do men become deacons? And third, the benefits of deacons. This doesn't sound very nice, but what good are deacons? What good is Mario, you know? What are the benefits that come to churches? Now, let's try to put this in context, okay? Because I'm sure you didn't come here to hear a lecture on ecclesiology this morning. But Christianity has come forth from God. Okay, it's revelation from God. And God has inscripturated some of the revelation that's come from God. You realize There's revelation that's come from God that didn't get inscripturated. But Christianity is not simply what we want to be true about God. Neither is the doctrine of the church ecclesiology. We don't just have deacons because it's cool. We don't have two offices because we like it that way. Christianity is revelation from God. It tells us something about God and it comes to us from God. So this is a God thing, okay? It concerns what God has done for us in light of our sin. God has sent forth his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to assume our nature, body and soul, to live a holy, law-abiding life in our nature, to die a wrath-bearing death in our nature, and to be raised from the dead in our nature. I keep saying in our nature. That's very important. Because this is the heart of Christianity, this God sent forth his Son, incarnation. Christ for us, Christ for our salvation. We are sinners. Our Lord became one of us to do what we did not and cannot do. He lived a law of God-obedient life and suffered due to the sins of others in order to bring us to God. We can't bring ourselves to God. We can't work our way to God. We can't get enough smiles from God by virtue of our good works so that God says, okay, I'll let you in. We have to be brought to God. He suffered once in order to bring us to God, 1 Timothy, 1 Peter 3.18. Christ brings sinners into the safe presence of God. Now, why? while Jesus was on the earth, he said this, I will build my church. Remember that in Matthew chapter 16. So by the time you fast forward after the sufferings and glory of Christ and you're in the apostolic age, you're reading the book of Acts, then you start to read the epistles, you'll see that Christ through the apostles has also revealed something about how this church is to be governed. And it is to be governed through It's members recognizing the gifts, the gifted persons that the ascended Christ gives to each local church, pastors and elders. And the way Christ builds his church and ensures it endures to the end is through these local congregations like ours. Local congregations are to be organized according to the word of Christ, okay? So we don't have freedom to organize ourselves according to the word of Rich or Mario or whoever. The organization Christ has revealed involves both officers and members. And by the way, all officers are first members. Some of you remember we constituted first, and the first public act of the church was to call one of its members to be its pastor. Do you remember that? It was a long time ago. I think you guys were, well, your wife was probably a teenager back then. But you see the order? I became a member of this church first, and then the pastors that were helping us with the ordination 
helped us with our first business meeting. I, I forgot if Mario ran, ran the meeting or not or whatever, but they called a member to be its pastor. So officers are first members and then officers. When officers and members do as Christ has commanded them by the blessing of God, local churches uphold the word of Christ, serve the saved and the lost, and unbelievers believe the gospel and become part of the church. We've seen that on a very small level, but we've seen that. Notice what I said here. When officers and members do as Christ has commanded, so on and so forth. Not just officers, okay? Not everything's done for you, just show up, come in, slide in and slide out, okay? People throw the hymns, hymn books out, right? And people pick them up. People sweep. Somebody cleans things, okay? So it's not fast food, mick Sabbath. That's not what we're into. Officers and members do their part. We serve one another in love in various ways, and it's the way we, we enrich ourselves in friendships, Christian friendships that'll have deep roots and will last through the weathering of storms or the storming of weathers or however that goes. Officers and members. Now, of those who believe and become part of the church, some are called to be pastors and some deacons. These special servants are called to ensure that the church does what its Lord commands it to do. This is how and why Christianity is all over the world. Because Christ said, I'll build my church, and he does it in a distinct way. The preaching of the gospel, the believing of the gospel, the baptism of those who believe the gospel, church membership and instruction, and then the church recognizes certain men to serve in one of those offices. This is how and why Christianity is all over the world. And today, all over the world, churches are gathered, pastors are serving, deacons are serving, members are serving. The church is built up by Christ in this manner. So I hope you just heard me say, only the elders and deacons serve the church and benefit the church. Actually, I hope you didn't hear me say that because I didn't say that. Okay? I said this is, a, this is a us kind of thing. So let's look at our three questions. What are deacons? That's my first question, the identity of deacons. And typically when I ask a question like that, I say what, it, what they ain't and then what they are or what they, what they are not, what they are, what they ain't, what they be, however you want to put that. What deacons are not? They are not elders, they are not bishops, they are not pastors. Whatever elders, bishops, and pastors are, it is a distinct office from deacon. Second, they are not the ruling board of the church. Some churches have, over the years, structured themselves that way. Who's the ruling board of the church? The deacons. They pull all the strings, they make all the decisions, they make sure the pastor stays poor, you know, all that stuff. Third, they are not, uh, they are not the string pullers of the pastor. Okay, They don't rule the pastor. And fourth, they are not the pastor's henchmen or yes-men. That would be a horrible deacon to be a yes-man to the pastor, right? If anybody thinks our current deacon is my yes-man, I got the receipts. He's not, and I am thankful to God that he's not. So what are deacons if they're not those kind of things? Number one, they're servants of the church. Because the, the word itself just means servant, diakonos, you've probably heard that. It's used with reference to our Lord, uh, the Son of Man came to, not to be served, but to serve, to deacon, but he's not a form, we wouldn't say, therefore Jesus was the first deacon, deacon Jesus. We, we don't say that. We say he did, you know, he did things serving us, um, but the generic use uh, has a specific use, technical ecclesiastical use in a few passages, and I want to look at those very quickly. I mentioned Philippians 1. I want you to turn there just so you can see this. Okay, so if we're thinking chronologically, we're in the 60s someplace, uh, and Philippi is in Macedonia, so Greece, 
And there had been a church planted there, and a few years after the church was planted there, Paul writes a letter to them. Notice what he says in verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops or overseers and deacons. So see that distinction there. This is a technical, ecclesiastical sense of the word deacon, And we know that because he distinguishes members from officers, and the officers are twofold, overseers, plural, and deacons, plural. So this isn't the generic use when it's used for generic service. It's used that way generically with our Lord and several others. This is a technical ecclesiastical use. 1 Timothy Chapter 3, it's used in a technical ecclesiastical sense as well there. Likewise, deacons, officers who do the function of deacon in deacons, and then verse 10, you have this, uh, the use of the word again, but let those first be tested, and, let them, and then let them serve as deacons. So there's a testing period before they actually formally deke as deacons. They're doing the work of... By the way, we all do the work of deacons in one sense, right? I mean, when I see people cleaning up in there, they're doing diaconal or servant service-oriented things, and in large part because of the way Mario has administered uh, information to people in terms of what we need to do, and people just do it. But it doesn't make you you know, a deacon or a deaconess simply because you do that stuff, just like the Lord. But this is a technical ecclesiastical sense here. And verse 12 as well, let deacons be the husbands of one wife ruling their children. So the use of the word deacon or servant in this technical uh, churchly sense, by the way, that's what the word ecclesiastical means from ekklesia, church in Greek, Um, This churchly sense teaches us that the office of deacon is ultimately and eminently Christ-like office. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man did not come to have deacons do a lot of stuff for him, but he came to be a deacon, you know, a servant. So it's eminently Christ-like in that sense. Elders as well mirror Christ in his capacity as shepherd and prophet. Deacons mirror Christ as humble, need-meeting servants. Okay, remember the Acts 6 passage, uh, which you can turn there, by the way, right now. There was a need, and the need came about because it got so great that the apostles slash elders slash overseers slash pastors first Peter 5, Peter identifies himself as an elder there, as an overseer there, the church in Jerusalem. Um, the practical need arose because it got so great, this need among the widows got so great, it was pulling the ministers of the word from their twofold task of word and prayer. And so they called the church together. Uh, I said turn to Acts 6. It'd, 6. it'd be good for me to turn there as well. Let's look at these verses here in Acts chapter 6 again. The first six verses is what uh, I want to note here. But before I do that, um, some people throughout the history of the church said, whatever this is, it's not, doesn't have to do with deacons. Uh, because the technical sense, uh, the technical uh, ecclesiastical sense isn't in the New Testament until Philippians and then in 1 Timothy. But watch this. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. That's a deacon word right there. So it is there. Um, Some people say, well, since the word's not there, the concept of a diaconal body, a body of men serving as deacons, can't be there as well. It has to have the technical ecclesiastical sense. I'm saying uh, a thing can be there without the word we use that usually identifies that thing, right? A diaconate, a body of men serving, can be present 
without the writer in Book of Acts saying, oh, by the way, this is the first diaconate. Okay? So I, I do think this is the first diaconate. Um, and without this text functioning as a paradigm for the diaconate, we have no specific method for the recognition, selection, and appointment of deacons. With this functioning as this is the first diaconate, we learn about the recognition, selection, and appointment of deacons. It's very helpful if we do that. Just from this passage, I want to derive this principle. Deacons are to serve the tangible needs of the saints, of the members, which includes the pastors. So if we ask the question, um, does Acts 6 teach us something about deacons? We say yes. What does it teach us? That they ought to exist, that they ought to be spiritually qualified, that the congregation should recognize them somehow, some way, and that the ruling elders should at some point lay their hands on them to commission them to their work. So they, they serve the tangible needs of the saints, but notice also they are servants for the benefit of the elders or ministers of the word. Okay, So our deacon, God willing someday our deacons, in part, serve all the members in a kind of a general way, but in a more special way, they serve the elders in various ways. They are appointed by the elders in Acts 6.3. Therefore, brethren, you seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint. Did you see that? You seek out, you identify, you nominate, you throw their names out, but we'll appoint them over this business. And then verse 6, whom they set before the apostles. So the congregation set these seven men, had nominated these men, threw their names in the hat, these seven men, and when they, the apostles, had prayed, they laid hands on them. So they are appointed by the elders who now fill the highest standing church office on the earth, but they are also subordinate to the elders. Verse 3 again, Watch, notice this. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So the elders are appointing the deacons to the business at hand, serving the saints and keeping the elders from um, overdoing it in tangible um, ministry for the saints. Deacons, we could say, are to remove any hands-on labor from the elders that would hinder them from fulfilling their specified responsibilities connected to their office, that is, word and prayer. What is a, a primary, not the primary, but one of the primary tasks of deacons? Make sure nothing gets in between the pastor and word and prayer. Now, does that mean I could never clean a toilet here or sweep the floor? No, right? Especially if it's after I had delivered the word. It would be really arrogant of me to say, I don't sweep. My wife is going, but you don't. I don't clean toilets. Why? I'm the pastor. I require a pastor's parking stall. You ever seen those? Pastors. A friend of mine asked me to preach for him once, and we get to the parking lot, and there's a pastor's stall there. And I said, brother, no. And he said, oh, that's a holdover from the previous guy. I never parked there. I don't like it. I said, well, you should, like, paint over it. Okay? See... You see the point, though. It's not wrong for me, to, for me to sweep, to take the garbage out or whatever. But if I'm doing things, especially on the other end, the setup, and it's keeping me from maybe last, hopefully I don't do the last second preparations uh, for, for, for sermons, but if it's keeping me from, then that's, that's the issue. If it's keeping me from word and prayer, the deacon is to get in between whatever the thing is and me and say, we're going to deal with this. 
Now, does that mean, therefore, the deacon has to do everything himself to keep things, activities, from getting in the pastor's way of word and prayer? No. The deacon say, can say, brothers and sisters, through an email or a text, here's how we're going to meet this tangible need in our church. Letter, uh, last names, A through L. You can serve the Joneses, uh, who J- Mrs. Jones just had her fourth child or whatever. We're going to serve them food. A through L is going to do it the first week or this first month or whatever and call them uh, to s- figure out what day or whatever it is, you know, something like that. Or he can say, I've asked sister so-and-so to administer the, the, the food to... Uh, Brother Williams or whatever, and a sister can do it. But the deacon makes sure, make sure that you know, things like that don't get in between me and, the, uh, and my responsibility. So what are deacons? Servants of the members, a Christ-like servant of the members and elders of the church to facilitate meeting tangible needs of the congregation and to ensure that the pastor or overseers don't get too entangled with things. Okay, second question is this, how do men become deacons or the installation of deacons? So uh, I would say, first of all, I I believe that it was a need-oriented office that came about. I think it's an ordained office as well, but the need was these widows um, need to be fed uh, under the circumstances they lived under, and therefore, out of that practical need came the diaconate. Also, um, in terms of how do they become, men become deacons, there has to be a need. By the way, can churches exist without deacons? Yeah. Can churches exist without a pastor? They did in the New Testament. There are at least two texts, one in Acts and one in Titus that indicate churches existed without ordained elders. Now, that's not the norm. We shouldn't work for that. If you're working for that, you know, I'm going to have to die first, I think. Uh, uh, ordained elders in every, in, in, in every church or city. Uh, Paul and Barnabas went up on their missionary journey, and then on the way back, after churches were planted, they ordained elders in every church. Therefore, there were churches. Was our church ever in existence without a pastor? Yes, for about 15 minutes. Okay, so we don't want to say you you can't be a church without deacons. You can't be a church without elders. What we do want to say, the norm is plurality of of both. Not only must there be a need for deacons, and there there is, uh, but there must be qualified men. You heard that in Acts 6. And in 1 Timothy 3, the men must be upright in character, and, be, and their character should shine such that the congregation is able to recognize it. It's not like a surprise uh, when somebody becomes a deacon or elder. Man, that dude's got rotten character. How in the world? It would, should be just the opposite. It should be relatively easy to see that as well. How do men become deacons? There must be a need. They must be qualified in um, integrity, uh, in their relation with their wife, if they have children, children. Also, in doctrine. They must be sound in doctrine. Men who are convinced of, of the Christian faith. How do men become deacons? Can we say this? Elders must make the need known to the congregation in some fashion. If you have elders, watch Acts 6-2. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Is it appropriate at times for the pastor, in our case, to say, brothers and sisters, uh, we have a need, we have a qualified person, you know, yeah, ta 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 I think right there the answer is yes. Our constitution allows that as well. The, how does a man become a deacon? The congregation must select... Um, the number of men determined by the elders. Now notice this in verse 6, verse 3 of chapter 6, Acts, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. They gave him the number. Now, 
Why? Either seven days or they knew there were seven men or maybe a combination of both. You know, I don't know. I kind of side with the, they probably knew there were seven men that meet the qualifications. So when they announced we need seven men, it would be a no-brainer for the congregation to identify those. But the congregation must select the number of men determined by the elders. Again, the congregation uh, seeks out or select, some of the translations say, select from among you. Um, The fifth thing is that the elders must appoint by the laying on of hands, thus signifying their approval and commissioning them to the work of service. This happens in Acts 6, whom they set before the apostles, whom the congregation set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. So how does a man become a deacon? He's, first of all, qualified in his private life, his marital life, family life. He's a man who holds the Christian faith uh, unequivocally, okay? He's a man who is easily recognized by the congregation. It's not like 50-50 on the vote, you know. Um, He's a man that the elders or the pastor can commend to the congregation, and then once the congregation nominates or selects and a process has gone through. Let them first be tested, then let them become deacons, First Timothy chapter 3, then comes on this laying of hands. Now, what are the benefits of deacons? In other words, what good are deacons? What good are deacons? So I have, uh, I think, three areas. There are benefits for the church, benefits, I have four, for the deacons, benefits for the elders, and benefits for the world. Okay, so what good are deacons? What are the benefits of deacons? First of all, church, deacons, elders, and world. They benefit the church. They benefit themselves. They benefit the elders, and they benefit the world, assuming they're doing what they're supposed to do. Okay, so let's talk about benefits for the church. The benefit is the upholding of the word of God and having a biblically ordered and functioning church. I I think if we're committed to scriptural authority as church members, we want our church to be ordered scripturally, right? Elders, plural, deacons, plural. So I say this, what a privilege to not only have the form of the diaconate, but its proper, proper biblical function as well. You can have the form, we have deacons, but if they don't function as they ought to, we're not being scriptural in that sense. God has revealed that that churches, in order to be biblically ordered or completely organized, according to the mind of Christ, it's the language of our confession, churches are to have a body of servants called deacons meeting the needs of the saints and providing an atmosphere where the elders can fulfill their calling unhindered. I'd say I, that, that's a benefit for, the, for all of us. So let us not be wiser than God and think that deacons are not necessary or even vital to this church. The diaconate is essential to the maintenance of this church or our Lord would not have instituted the office. So benefits to the church. But there's benefits to the deacons themselves. I, I took this from 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 which we already read, but I want to read it again. Verse 13, notice what it says there. For those who serve well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So that's a benefit to a deacon that serves well, is that he obtains for himself a good standing, I would take that good standing among the brothers and sisters. He keeps gaining your affections. He keeps winning your conscience because he's doing his job well. And as that happens, he's more bold in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So there are benefits for the deacons. Faithful deacons obtain for themselves the respect and esteem 
of the saints, they already, by the way, they already got the respect and esteem of the saints because they made it into the diaconate. But as they serve well, they constantly get more esteem. And they get boldness and confidence in their Christian faith. But third, there are benefits for the elders. I think you saw this. I pointed it out in Acts chapter 6, verse 4. Um, the benefits for the elders that a properly functioning diaconate uh, gives, gives to them. But we will give ourselves, we the apostles, the elders of the Jerusalem church, will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We're going to do this. We're not going to do, we're not going to be hindered by this stuff. You're going to appoint deacons so we can do this. And so the deacons get between us doing those things and allowing us to do this, these other things, word and prayer. So that is a, a wonderful liberty for me, by the way. I don't have to do everything. I have enjoyed that liber- liberty in the past as a, pa- as a pastor due to faithful and often unseen and unappreciated labors of deacons. I'm not trying to toot anybody's horn here, but I will say you, you don't, unless you're a deacon, you don't know what deacons do. And deacons shouldn't, like, tell you everything they do either. That would be like, you're not supposed to tell us you're great. We're supposed to tell you, you know. Um, deacons are to relieve the pastors of anything that will keep them from shepherding the flock of God. Before the members of the church call a pastor, they're first to make sure that the matter cannot be handled by the deacon or deacons. That doesn't mean I don't want you to call me or text me. Or if you do, and it should be a diaconal thing, I'm going to rebuke you. Didn't you listen to the sermon? I said, don't call me. I must give myself to the word and prayer. Who do you think you are? I won't do that. Sometimes you don't know. Is this the pastor or is this a deacon thing? So just call and ask. That's fine. But you should think that way too, right? So benefits for the church, benefits for the deacons themselves, benefits for, in our case, me. But also there are benefits for the world that I mean by that, the world of unbelievers. Notice In Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Okay, after they said, look, select from among you seven men. We'll appoint them over this business. And after this pleased the whole multitude, they chose these seven men. They set before these men, they set these men before the apostles. The apostles laid hands on them, commissioning them to their work. And then verse 7. Then the word of God spread. That's interesting. The ministers of the word were being hindered from ministering the word. When they established a diaconate, then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, that's very interesting. A biblically functioning diaconate frees up the elders to do their work, and we ought to expect the church to prosper because of it. Immediately after the account of the first deacons, the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly. Now, this is an interesting and a one-time epoch in the history of the church. Okay, this is just after Pentecost. There's a lot going on in Jerusalem. We have live apostles on the scene. You have eyewitnesses of the Lord Jesus that were still living. Okay, you have all that stuff. And then God had promised in the Old Testament when Messiah comes, there'd be a small remnant around him of believers, Jewish believers, and that would, that would grow, and then Gentiles would be great. Okay, so this is a very unique time, transitional time in the history of the church. But what, who, who among us in our church would say, well, I don't want the word of God to keep on spreading. I don't want the number of the disciples to continue to grow, to increase greatly. 
I don't want that to happen. I don't think we want to say that, right? But if I had to do everything, I couldn't have meetings with unbelievers, at least not as many as I have. I couldn't text people as much, you know, that I think we all want at least some increase in the number of disciples, right? We do. It is a great liberty I have to be able to serve you uh, basically unhindered. I mean, I'm in, you know, I think I've said this before. In mo- on most accounts, I'm really, really spoiled. Okay? Our deacon gets it. I didn't have to train him. And some of you who were here before he was a deacon knew he was deaconing before he was a deacon. By the way, that's what deacons do. And has it benefited the church, himself, me, and the world? I think it has. Now, what I wished I could say is I wish I could say, have you noticed that our church has doubled in the last two years? A lot of that has to do with our deacon. So since it has it, we're going to blame him? No, we're just going to keep doing what we're supposed to do and praying. By the way, one of the guys at the BTC, his church doubled in the last two years. Doubled. And it wasn't a huge, it was a small church when it started. The church I was in in Sydney went through some really turbulent waters. They lost 60 or 70% of their membership. They've replaced them all over like a two-year period. It happens, okay? Oh, that it would happen with us, right? That we have a biblically functioning diaconate, and I pray appropriately, and I minister the word, not only on the Lord's Day, but in other venues, like the Friday night marriage thing. You ever thought of that? Maybe God will save people just by coming to the marriage thing, because I, I give the God, I say the same things every Friday night that we meet that I say every Sunday here. We have a friend of sinners. I think all of us would desire a scripturally functioning diaconate to both free up our pastor and to help us as well as members to serve appropriately, to do what's necessary, to make it comfortable in here and to have food, you know, and all that stuff. And I think, you know, sometimes I've said this before, reformed people aren't into numbers. That's a lie. Of course we are. We owe to see thy churches full or whatever that line is. Why do we sing it if we don't want more people here? I want sinners raw sinners who've messed up their lives really badly to be here and hear me to hear about the friend of sinners so that they could come to him and have their sins forgiven and join us. Who doesn't want that? The the better organized we are and doing things that we ought to be doing, the more uh, those kinds of things uh, typically, though it's slow over a long period of time, uh, happen. If an unbeliever came in here, for instance, I had this illustration once, unbelievers shouldn't go into the bathrooms and see filthy urinals. It would be terrible if an unbeliever came to our church and he said, I'm not going back there, their urinal was filthy. You know, We don't have filthy urinals, by the way. That's just a little thing, but do you want your unsaved neighbor to come to church and go, I'm not going back there because, you know, the food was lousy. Of course you don't. It's never been lousy, by the way, especially on the first Lord's Day of the month when we have Mexican food. But even that, even in the food, you know, if you're, you're, you're creating a dish, you should, should do it with a sense of, I get to serve the saints, and there might be some unbelievers there. And put a little extra spice in it to make sure it's really good or something like that. It's a little thing, but it contributes to the whole. Uh, that's why people show up here at what, 8.30 in the morning or so? Do you realize that? You go, well, I thought church starts at 9.30. Yeah, but for it to start at 9.30, some things got to be done first, right? And they're done every week, always on time. That's a liberty for me, and it should be. It's a liberty for others because not everybody can do everything everybody else can do. I get that, okay? So we're not going to have a 98-year-old woman and discipline her because she's not cleaning the woman's toilets or something like that. 
That would be very unwise, wouldn't it? But all these things contribute to the whole. We're trying to produce, we're trying to create and maintain and grow a spiritual community that's actually inviting to unbelievers. We're not going to compromise public worship. We're not going to say what do unbelievers want, therefore we'll change the elements of worship to satisfy them. The pastor wears skinny jeans and he does a, you know, a dance every once in a while. We're not doing that stuff, okay? But we can do things in such a way as it exemplifies uh, Christian love. They will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Anybody get hooked by the love that Christians had? Part of the hook, evangelistic hook. Now, I didn't get saved by watching Christians love Christians, but I watched these people, and I'm going, this dude's a jock, and this guy's a nerd, and they're friends. That didn't compute with me when I was in high school and college, jocks hung with jocks and nerds hung with girls, you know. But I went to this Christian place and you got, you know, at the time. By the way, it's probably sinful of me to categorize the people. I get it, okay. Uh, But that's where I was. This jock shouldn't be hanging around with this nerd. They actually go out to lunch once a week. What in the world is that? I wonder if he does it publicly. He's seen in public with that guy? I got saved and started hanging around with both the jock and the nerd, by the way. Uh, but it was the Christian love initially that was an, event, was an inviting hook. I'm going, people from different backgrounds, goody two-shoes, and people who have, you know, they're on a second or third marriage and kids from two or three people are one. They're together. They're living. And they look like they actually like each other, you know? And of course, that was the hook that got me to ask more questions. But that should be a part of us, too. We should want to exemplify Christian love among ourselves and then the love of lost people if and when they come among, among us and make them feel comfortable in one sense. And then when it, times, when it comes time for the call to worship and the ending benediction, they're probably going to feel uncomfortable then. And that's fine. Okay, we don't do it for the comfort of goats. We do what we do because we believe the scripture requires it. And when you have a functioning diaconate, it's extremely helpful to that end. So I'm just rambling. You probably figure that out. I'm finished. I will pray, and then we'll take our break. Uh, then we'll sing. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you how you predicted the building of your church. While you were here on the earth, you have provided uh, officers from among the members to serve your cause and your people and the lost in unique ways. We pray that you would help us to honor you as a church in the recognition of elders and deacons, concentrating especially today on deacons. Please give us wisdom. And help us to sing in thanks uh, for your word preached, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.